let's give people the benefit of the doubt for the most part and say that they really are unconscious of the influence. I mean, what I hear all the time from people who take food industry funding is that it has no effect on what they do. All of the evidence that's available points to an opposite conclusion. It has an enormous effect. It's just that people don't realize it or don't want to realize it. Or I suppose there are people who just want the money, but I think they're few and far between. So here we had this dilemma, this this fact. This fact. I've been almost a decade researching this subject. Every aspect of your metabolic health improves. From the Hint offices in San Francisco, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. You may have tried Hint Water before, but this is my podcast. Each week, we talk to some of the most creative entrepreneurs from world-touring pop stars like Jay Sean to the people behind favorite Instagram accounts, including So Yummy, New York City, and even YouTubers like Sarah Dietschy. So the million-dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. We're kicking off season three of Unstoppable by congratulating our five lucky winners of our season two Hint Water Contest. Congratulations to Brooke Craven, Samantha Levine, Sadie Girl 101, Honey BMD, and This Is Tech Today. All winners, please email Kimia, that's K-I-M-I-A, at drinkhint.com for your iTunes username and shipping details to claim your year's supply of Hint Water. And thank you to everyone who took the time to enter and leave a meaningful review for the show on iTunes. Today's guest on Unstoppable is the one and only Marion Nessel. I've been following Marion since the release of her book, Food Politics, How the Food Industry Influences Nutrition and Health. Over the years, her research and writings have examined the scientific and socioeconomic influences on food choices, obesity, and food safety. Today, we're going to talk about her new book, Unsavory Truth, How Food Companies Skew the Science of What We Eat. You're going to love this episode, so sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Kara, and we're here on Unstoppable today, and I get to interview somebody who I've had tons of admiration for for many, many years, Marian Nessel. And um, Marian, for those of you who are not familiar with her, she's based out of New York, but she actually has spent a lot of time in Berkeley as well. But currently, her just came out with her latest book called Unsavory Truth, How Food Companies Skew the Science of What We Eat. Uh, very, very excited to hear more about that. But first, sort of learned about Marian uh, years ago when I read one of her books, um, The Food Politics, How the Food Industry Influences Nutrition and Health. And for those of you who have heard me talk about this, I've just, it's been, you know, a passion and somewhat scary fascination of mine to sort of understand how we are as consumers really skewed by really what we're reading and what we're, you know, learning. And sometimes we don't really learn those things. So I think Marion was probably one of the first people to sort of turn me on to some of that information, but just a little bit more about her. She has been at New York University. She retired in September of 2017 and has done a number of different things, including 
holding degrees from uh, Transylvania University in Kentucky, Macaulay Honors College of the City of New York. But then she went on to do lots of amazing, amazing things on both coasts. And uh, she also was the editor of the 1988 Surgeon General's Report on Nutrition and Health, which I think is super interesting on a lot of counts. But her research and writings have just examined a lot of the scientific and socioeconomic influences on food choices, obesity, and food safety. And just want to welcome Marion to the podcast. Super excited. Oh, glad to be here. Yeah, super, super excited. So just to kind of get started, uh, so... I'm just going to jump right in with the book. So the Unsavory Truth, I have to be honest with you, I've read most of what you have written. It is sitting on my bookshelf and I'm going to read it before the end of the year for sure, because I'm so excited about it. And I just, I know I'm going to get super consumed, but what was sort of the, you know, what made you go ahead and write about this topic? Well, the book is about food industry funding of nutrition research, and it grew right out of my last book, which was Soda Politics, Taking on Big Soda and Winning. Um, While Soda Politics was in preparation, I started running across examples of Coca-Cola's funding of research. Coca-Cola was interested in producing research that um, demonstrated that sugar-sweetened beverages don't have any impact on health that any inter any information to the contrary is wrong and that really what's more important for your health is physical activity and they were funding these studies and i wrote about them in soda politics and they made me notice that lots of studies were being funded by food companies. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, 
long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. And so in March of 2015, I began collecting them. Whenever I ran across a study with a title uh, that made me think, who would ever do a study like that? Um, who funded that? Um, and I can give you lots of examples. One came in today. Um, if you eat nuts, your semen count is higher. And I thought, who paid for that? Um, and the Nut Council, of course. Um, so I was running across these things. I started posting them on my blog foodpolitics.com and at the end of I did it for a year and at the end of a year I had 168 studies that were funded by food companies and 156 of them 
came out with results that favored the sponsor's interest, even though I begged readers to send me examples of food industry-funded studies with negative results. So that was one big reason. Um, the second reason for doing this book was that nobody knew anything about this. In uh, Again, in 2015, while Soda Politics was at the printer, uh, the New York Times came out with a report on a group called the Global Energy Balance Network. These were um, scientists who were arguing that physical activity was more important than uh, what you eat or drink in your body weight. And these investigators neglected to mention that Coca-Cola was funding them. Big surprise. So the New York Times did this big article about them, and I was quoted in it. And I got called by a lot of reporters, and the reporters were shocked. They were shocked that Coca-Cola would fund something like this. They were shocked that researchers would would accept industry funding. And they were shocked that the universities would allow their faculty to do this. I thought, holy smoke, if reporters are amazed by this, then um, I've got another book to write. Yeah, absolutely. What year was this that you found? This was was 2015. That article in the New York Times came out in 2015. Interesting. So, yeah. So, I I mean, I've been over the last couple of months, I mean, on a totally different topic. We've been, uh, we have a full-time lobbyist that's helping us work on some stuff around school lunch programs to actually allow water or a product like Hint to actually be allowed in school lunches. And, you know, we've run up against the Dairy Association because they actually, sort of wrote the rules for what would actually be in school lunches and, you know, the Orange Juice Association. And uh, anyway, I've been really, really interested in um, how people are so surprised by all like the power of these large, not just the large lobbying groups, but, you know, we we also ran into some interesting conversations around, uh, you know, I've really heard over the last couple of years that there's these large soda companies that have funded studies, but then I've also ran into pharmaceutical companies that are funding studies as well. And, you know, claiming that they are interested in funding a study, for example, around type 2 diabetes. And then when they don't like the results, then the sort of end of report comment is, uh, you know, the results were inconclusive. And yet they do not have to actually... um, apparently talk about what those results were that they because they funded the studies which i as a consumer just think is completely crazy so anyway it's a it's maybe it's your next book <laughs> it's not just the no i i actually wrote a lot about uh, i have a chapter on the drug industry in this book because because the research, there's very little research on food industry funding of nutrition research, but there's an enormous amount of research on drug industry funding of physicians um, 
and de- that demonstrates that the funding changes physicians' prescription practices and also their opinions on advisory committees. And that research goes back 60 years at least. There are libraries full of books about the influence of drug industry funding. Uh, there are literally thousands of research articles about drug industry funding and how even small gifts affect physicians' prescription practices. And I reviewed that literature and very briefly showed that the this research shows that uh, funded studies come out in favor of the in, of the company's branded drug even if the drug isn't as effective as generics and even if it's more expensive than generics, that larger funding has a greater effect than smaller funding. Big gifts have bigger effects than small gifts. But even small gifts like a pen and a prescription pad or a meal that costs as little as $13 – has been shown in studies to demonstrate that physicians will switch their prescription practices. The other thing that that research shows that's so interesting to me is that the effects of the funding generally are unconscious. The people who receive the funding don't realize that it affects them. They don't recognize the effect. They didn't intend to be bought or intend to be corrupted. Uh, They deny that it has any effect on them. Um, And I was interested to see that those same kinds of things are showing up in the very preliminary studies that have been done on food industry funding. I could only find 11 studies that looked at the effects of food industry funding. The first one was in 2003. The last one was this year, in contrast to the literally thousands of studies that have been done on drug industry funding. But to me, it looks about the same. Yeah. And what I thought was just so interesting is that when they can't actually skew the results to be in their favor, then they don't actually have to release the results. They can actually say that it's inconclusive, which I'm like, Oh, that's, uh, that only occurs. I, I've not been able to find any evidence for anything like that with food industry-funded research. It may exist, but I certainly can't find evidence for it. There's plenty of evidence for drug industries, for drug companies working that way. But yeah, what and I, that's what I meant, drug industry. Yeah, what, I see more from, what I see more commonly with food industry-funded studies is a statement in the disclosure statement that most scientists journals, nutrition journals, uh, require their authors to say who paid for the study and whether they have any financial ties to the funder of the study. And in those disclosure statements, you commonly see that the funder had no influence on the design, conduct, or publication of the study. There are examples where that's not true. And here again, Coca-Cola comes up because there have been so many investigations of Coca-Cola's funding that involve Freedom of Information Act requests for emails that demonstrate very close association between Coca-Cola and the researchers who were doing the study. Um, but then there was a recent example in, um, of the alcohol industry where the um, alcohol industry funded a big study at NIH. And that study was supposed to be about whether one drink a day had any effect on heart disease risk. 
And when the New York Times wrote about it, the reporter got a tip from somebody in NIH that there was a lot of collusion between the NIH investigators and the alcohol industry funders. And that essentially the NIH had promised the industry funders that it would dem that the study would demonstrate that one drink a day reduced heart disease risk, and they weren't going to run the trial long enough to show any harm to breast cancer, for example, or anything else. And that was so shocking to the overall NIH administration that they stopped the trial as soon as they found out about it. Yeah, and I just, I mean, on, on so many levels, I just can't understand how humans can sign up for this. I just, I, I just don't understand how you can be an individual working inside of the NIH or the CDC or whatever it is and sort of see that this stuff is happening and not just, just well, decide to just go people- along with it. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt for the most part and say that they really are unconscious of the influence. I mean, what I hear all the time from people who take food industry funding is that it has no effect on what they do. Right. All of the evidence that's available points to an opposite conclusion. It has an enormous effect. It's just that people don't realize it or don't want to realize it. Or I suppose there are people who just want the money, but I think they're few and far between. Interesting. I don't know. They I just mean, don't the, connect the, the dots. Yeah. 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 Well, it's really a question of ethics and what kind of ethics you were trained in. I mean, the, I was trained in molecular biology. That's what my degree is in. And we just had beaten into us that you had to constantly control for your unconscious biases. The assumption was that you had unconscious biases and that you wanted studies to go out a certain way. And the entire... Um, Efforts to make you do quality research were aimed at getting us to control for things that we were unconscious of. I mean, that sounds crazy, but that's that, that was my training. Interesting. So today on your, your blog, you uh, talk about the, speaking of alcohol, the beer helps to improve Alzheimer's. I'd love to, you know, just have well, you that's sh- my current... That's my current favorite study. <laughs> I I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I appreciate that. I am a beer drinker, so I do appreciate <laughs> the the comments. Aren't you happy to know that it'll prevent Alzheimer's? I know it's just crazy, but it's just. Um, and who funded the study? So the question when I saw the title of that study, um, that you know that hops improved cognitive functioning, and it was in rats or mice. I can't. Can't remember which, but the um, um, but the clear implication was that if you drank beer, it would help you prevent the symptoms of Alzheimer's. My first question was, who paid for this? Yeah, and who, who would ever do a study like and that? Who did? Only a beer company, Karen Beer. Um, they were Japanese investigators, so you can guess it was a Japanese beer company, and it was interesting. Very, very interesting. So, so moving on to some more serious health stuff. Uh, so the World Health Organization report for Europe recently published a report on marketing junk food for kids. And in the U.S., we see the junk foods are always still actively pushed in marketing, whether it's Doritos having the best Super Bowl commercial or Kim Kardashian eating 
a Carl's Jr. burger. What's your take on what needs to change with how brands market these junk foods? Well, I don't think that marketing to children is appropriate at all for anything. Children are not in any place whatsoever to know the difference between what's being sold to them and real information. They can't distinguish it. Some adults can't either as far as that goes, but certainly children can't. And I don't think that marketing to them should be allowed. It's just that we live in a society where every time there have been any attempts, and there have been many, to try to restrict marketing to children, uh, it's been stopped by the industries that are affected. They go right to Congress, and Congress says, keep hands off. And I don't see any signs of that changing. I mean, we live in a country in which corporations call the shots, and this is one of those examples. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer even, you know, so we started a, a drink that has no sweeteners in it, you know, almost 14 years ago now. And the number of people that I ran into when we were first starting Hint who said, oh, it's kind of like vitamin water. And I said, no, it's not vitamin water at, at all. I mean, vitamin water at that point had more sugar in it than a can of Coke. And, you know, it was, it was amazing as I started to talk to people like buyers, as well as, you know, just people who had been drinking vitamin water, the, the number of people who actually thought that they were getting their daily recommended dose of vitamins in a bottle because it said the word vitamins was like unbelievable. I mean, the the number of people who, you know, are drinking products like, you know, Smart Water, for example, I bet there's people out there who really do believe that they're going to be smarter by drinking a product like that. And, you know, people can laugh about that, but I really, really think like these words, like, I mean, for me, I, I was drinking diet soda for years and I thought like, that was actually going to make me skinny by drinking diet. And so I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts on that are. Like, do you think that that will ever be changed? I mean, will we actually try and, you know, curb those words from actually being, you know, in the vocabulary, allowable vocabulary for products? Well, first of all, we're human, and we're very susceptible to this kind of marketing. And food companies know that if they market foods as healthy with vitamins or any of these other things that are on the front of food packages these days, that people won't think about it very much. They'll just reach for those packages. Everybody wants to do things that are good for their health. Um, marketing of food is not supposed to hit you in your uh, higher intellectual functions. It's supposed to hit you emotionally and slip below any kind of conscious critical thinking. Um, and so we just respond to these things. And there's something in, the, something in the way that the human mind is hardwired that just responds to this. Now, the companies argue that they have freedom of speech on their side and they can say whatever they want. And to date, they've been supported by the courts, by Congress, by everybody else. We don't live in a society where there's a lot of public approval for government intervention. Most, <clears throat> most government interventions on public health issues have encountered enormous popular and industry resistance. 
And it's only when the evidence is really incontrovertible that they're able to get something through and then everybody gets used to it and it's okay. I mean, I could think of seat belts or fluoridated water still being argued about. You know, but any of these public health measures, they were always fought. I mean, they're still being fought, even though the evidence that backs them up is enormous and we would be a much healthier society. We'd certainly be a much healthier society if everybody vaccinated their kids. So, you know, these are things where where we're not talking about evidence. We're talking about emotion and people's feelings about what they think is right. Um, So I don't think you can make evidence-based arguments about these kinds of things. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. Last week, I was in many conversations with all of the stuff going on at Facebook. And, you know, we run ads on Facebook, for example, and I know lots of other e-commerce companies that run ads on Facebook. And so so the question, you know, that somebody was mentioning to me, it's, it's you know, Facebook has, has uh, taken a position and they're getting in some trouble um, for this, where they're they're reading copy and deciding that there's certain copy that they don't actually want to allow to run. But yet, if you are a company that owns like a trademark for a brand like Diet, you know, Coke or Diet Pepsi or whatever, they allow that to run. And my argument and a lot of other, you know, people who are sort of in a position to sort of run these ads is saying like, it's actually you know, worse if you've got a brand like that that is sort of embedded in someone's mind versus actually the stuff that is getting kicked out in in some of these ads and and some of the stuff that Facebook is getting in trouble for. So anyway, I think it's it's an interesting time in history and I do believe it it will ultimately start to bubble up to like not just ethics, but also like what is, you know, what is allowed at this point. And I think branding will be questioned, maybe not in the next month, but I think in the next year, because I think that, you know, when you've got, when you've got companies that are basically hanging their hat on a brand that you ask 10 people in the room, is that healthy for you? Is that better for you? I mean, you know, you, I think you wrote an article at one point, a I believe it was you, a blog about things that are like popped. I mean, most consumers today think that if things are popped, they're better for you. Yet there's a lot of studies that show that that stuff is not necessarily, you know, the healthiest stuff for you either. I mean, pop microwave popcorn, for example, is not necessarily um, better for you. So anyway, I think it's it's just, it's a fascinating time in history because I think consumers are getting smarter and smarter or trying to get smarter and smarter, but it's hard. It's so hard for consumers to actually eat healthy. Well, I think that's unfortunate because eating healthfully is so easy. All you have to do is make sure you've got fruits and vegetables in your diet. Don't eat, don't overeat, and don't eat a lot of junk food. It's not any more complicated than that. And I get so sad when people tell me that they're just desperate to try to figure out what it is they're supposed to do. I say, just eat what you like. Make sure you've got some veggies and don't eat too much. You know, and, it, and you can monitor your weight. And if you're not gaining weight, you're doing just fine. Relax. Enjoy. Food is one of, you know, food is one of life's greatest pleasures and people should be enjoying it and eating what they love. 
it makes me really sad that people are in such pain, and it makes me angry with the food industry for deliberately confusing people. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think we're on the same mission in, in a very you know similar way of of looking at this, but maybe hitting it at at you know just the discovery stages are just really interesting. But I also tell people it makes me a little sad too because I think we do. It really is an ethics situation, and and I think. You know, I hope you're right that a lot of people are just not connecting the dots. And but I do think that these large companies are really, you know, doing stuff that is um, at the end of the day, you know, don't allow consumers to to always figure out how to get healthier. Yeah, well. Yeah, that's why I write books. That's what that's my contribution to the confusion is to write books. I hope it'll clear up some of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been super great. And I, like I said, I'm excited to definitely sit down and read your book. And where, what's the best way for people to uh, get your book on, on Amazon or? Well, they can get it at bookstores or however they get books and information about it and about everything else I do is on my website, foodpolitics.com, where I blog. Which I love, by the way. Thank you. Where I I blog almost every day, but I also post my papers there. Um, I post when you send me a link to this, I'll post it. And I also post where I'm giving lectures, all of those things. That's wonderful. Foodpolitics.com. Yep. Foodpolitics.com. Her book, again, is Unsavory Truth, How Food Companies Skew the Science of What We Eat. Marianne Nessel, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. And we're super excited to uh, get this out there for everybody to learn more. Great. Thanks so much. You can order Marian's new book, Unsavory Truth, How Food Companies Skew the Science of What We Eat on Amazon, or get it at your local bookstore. You can also learn more about Marian and read her blog at foodpolitics.com. If you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable. unstoppable.